Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining Church on the Real Real, R-E-E-L, as in a multi-platform broadcast, R-E-A-L, as in having a genuine conversation or true dialogue about faith-based issues. I'm your host, Donna Means. Today, our topic is discipleship, and it asks the question, are we the disciples that God is seeking? Do we consider ourselves true disciples of Christ? And if so, what distinguishes us as being so? Being a true disciple is more than confessing God, receiving immersion, baptism, identifying as a Christian, or regularly attending worship services. Jesus explained this to the multitude following behind him in Luke 14, 25, 35. Jesus wasn't impressed with the large crowds. Within the masses, there were diverse types of followers. First, we have the spectators or the signs and wonders group. These are followers who observe from the sidelines without engaging in ministry. If circumstances become too challenging, they will leave without taking any course of action. And John chapter 6 verse 2 depicts a crowd in all of the miracles and signs that they were seeing. You have the loyalists. The loyalists are the disciples. This group is dedicated even when things are challenging. In John chapter 6 verses 67 through 71, we're given an example of the disciples who were steadfast in the revelation of Jesus and unwilling to leave when other disciples did. The opportunist these people seek an advantage to exploit resources without concern for morals or consequences. The story of Simon the Sorcerer, also known as Simon Magnus, who for years surprised the Samaritans with his magic, as told in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 21. When Philip began to preach the gospel there, many locals were converted and baptized. Simon the sorcerer became a Christian and was baptized himself. Following his own conversion, he began to follow Philip everywhere. The apostles were informed of the Samaritans' conversion and dispatched Peter and John to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Simon watched as Peter and John laid hands on the Samaritans who were willing to accept the gift of the Holy Spirit. Simon then makes a financial concession in exchange for Peter and John's power. You have the parasites, or I like to call them the spiritual leeches. These are the people who habitually rely on and exploit others and give nothing in return. In John 6, 26, Jesus chastised those who follow him just for the sake of material or temporary gain, rather than to quench their spiritual hunger. Many people use their religious beliefs to win favors, comforts, or even votes in an election, but those are egotistical gains. True followers of Jesus simply believe that Jesus is the truth, and following him is the path to eternity. Life. And our last group are the traitors. These are the people who betray another's trust or violate a responsibility or obligation. Jesus delivers a shocking message in John chapter 6 verses 53 through 59 where it talks about eating flesh and drinking blood which sounds cannibalistic. This was repugnant to religious leaders and against the law that's identified in Leviticus 17, 10, and 11. Jesus used the body and the bloody imagery to mean that followers needed to adapt to his way of life. Eating the living bread 
means to accept Jesus into our lives and becoming united with him. The Apostle Paul would also use this analogy to discuss communion. In John chapter 6, verses 60 through 66, many of Jesus' disciples deserted him. Their decision to leave was prompted by their realization that Jesus would fall short of their expectations. Some may have felt that his teachings were offensive and difficult to understand. The others may have objected to his emphasis on faith rather than works. And another group that may have learned that Jesus was not going to grant their selfish request. In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, the NIV says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even their own lives. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus makes a similar statement in Matthew chapter 10, verses 36 through 39. NIV states, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. In these passages, Jesus outlines the requirements for becoming a true disciple for the multitude. He's emphasizing to the masses following him about the cost to follow him. They must be prepared to give up whatever they hold dear. They should ensure they have completely weaned themselves from creature comforts before Approaching him. This is to ensure that they will follow him cheerfully rather than abandoning their interest in him later. Jesus cannot accept them as his disciples if they're unwilling to do this. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus is consistent with those that he calls to follow and those who seek to follow him. Luke chapter 9 verses 57 through 62 provides us with three examples. I will follow you wherever you go, one man promises. Jesus gives the man an important warning in Luke chapter 9 verse 58, instructing the man not to follow him in the expectations of guaranteeing himself remarkable things in the world, but rather to be ready for poverty and cruelty since the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9, it states, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus became poor by renouncing his divine status and becoming a human. In his voluntary human incarnation, God took on the whole human form of Jesus of Nazareth. The restrictions of space, time, and other aspects of being a man applied to Jesus. When he became a man, he did not give up his immortal power. But he did put aside his honor and his rights. He constrained his knowledge and abilities following the Father's desire. Christ put aside so much that he was poor when he became human. Yes, in that way, Christ made us wealthy by providing us with redemption and eternal life. The creator of everything did not make a location for himself, 
to live in. The creator of everything did not make a location for himself to live in or a place to call home. Rather, he made things for other people. Jesus invites another man to follow him in the same passage. The man responds, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. I have an aged father at home who cannot live long and will need me while he does live. Let me go and attend on him until he is dead. And I have performed my last office of love to him. And then I will do anything. Luke chapter 9 verse 60 records Christ's response as being, let the dead bury the dead. Jesus was urging followers to take immediate action to be real disciples. Jesus did not encourage people to ignore their responsibilities to their families. However, Jesus often gave instructions to people based on their real motives. This man could have been delaying following Jesus by using his father as an excuse. There is a cost to following Jesus, and we must all be prepared to serve, even when it requires giving up something. The last man in this passage says, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Initially, it sounds like a proposal that's reasonable, yet the man's statements suggest that he may have saw following Christ as being depressing bothersome, or even a hazardous affair. The man wanted to say goodbye to all of his family and seems like he was preparing not to see them again. When in reality, by following Christ, he might have been a greater benefit and comfort to them than if he stayed with them. There are three temptations that pose a threat to our commitment to Jesus, and we must be certain to avoid them. We may not have realistic expectations of what it means to follow Christ. We may procrastinate or look to defer our commitment to Christ. We may believe our relationships or obligations to others supersede our duty to Christ. It is plausible indeed. Let me go and bury my father, or let me take care of my family and provide for my children. Then I will think of serving God. Our first desire should be to seek the kingdom of God in all its righteousness. Any reasons that we are placing before the desire to seek the kingdom of God actually becomes our God. In Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 34, Jesus provides two analogies. The first analogy he gives is about constructing a tower and the fact that you need to count the costs before you start building. For if you don't count up the costs, you might end up with an incomplete building, which you have to abandon because you don't have the money to complete it. The other analogy he uses is about the king who's con contemplating war with another king. Will the king not consider his ability to defeat his adversary with only 10,000 men as opposed to his adversary's 20,000 men? In both analogies, Jesus is asking us, will we only build half of our Christian lives and abandon it because we didn't consider the cost of committing to him? And how much does it cost? Christians may lose their social standing or wealth. They may have to forego control over their money, time, or career. They may be separated from their families or even executed. Following Jesus does not imply an easy life. We must carefully consider the cost of becoming Jesus' disciples so that we know what we're getting into and we're not tempted to turn back later. The scriptures make it very clear that Jesus wanted people to be aware of the requirements. He was not looking for enthusiasts, fascists, or groupies who falsely claimed to be his disciples. 
Jesus specifies the disciples. His true disciples will love God with all their heart, their soul, and their mind. They will study the scriptures for instruction, rebuke, improvement, and moral training that will equip them for every good work. They will have faith in God. They will assist in spreading the gospel. They will recognize that they're not immune to afflictions, persecutions, or sufferings. They will follow Jesus. They will be fruitful and productive. They will be teachable. Their lives will be marked by love, and they will worship God in spirit and in truth. So what does God require of us? What is Jesus looking for? Complete dedication, not just a little effort. We cannot choose which of Jesus' teachings to follow. We must embrace both the cross and the crown, justice and mercy. We must weigh the cost and be prepared to give up everything else that has provided us with security or comfort. Nothing should divert us from the way of life that Jesus calls good and true as we keep our attention fixed on him. This is a necessary part of taking up our cross and following him. As our relationships with Jesus grows, we will experience changes that will set us apart from others. Our values, our morals, our goals, our objectives will shift. As our faith grows, we may be tempted to reject Jesus because of his difficult lessons. Quietly contemplate what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Ask yourselves the questions. Do you still say yes, knowing what Jesus requires? Will we reject, abandon, or choose to ignore some of Jesus' teachings? Or will we ask God to show us what the teachings mean and how to apply them to our lives? Will we be willing to summon the strength to act on God's truth? Are we meeting God's expectations when we examine our personal relationship with him? Are we genuinely trying to be the true disciples that God's seeking? Well, that's all that I have for you today. I hope you found this thought provoking. Until next time, God bless.